Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Have Yourself a Mindful Little Christmas, the podcast that's here to sprinkle a bit of mindful magic into your holiday hustle and bustle. I'm Ali, your host and your guide through the next few weeks, where the destination isn't just the big day itself, but trying to embrace and enjoy every moment of Christmas and trying also not to get tangled up in the extra work and worries that Christmas can sometimes bring with it, like the stress of Christmas shopping, social calendar chaos and money worries. Now, I know what you're thinking, mindfulness during Christmas, is that even possible? I've got enough to do as it is. Well, I'm hoping that this podcast is going to be your cosy blanket fort in the middle of the holiday chaos, where even if this is the only moments of calm that you have um, during our time together, we'll explore the art of slowing down and maybe even finding a moment of calm along the way too. So grab your coziest sweater and a cup of cocoa because we're about to embark on a journey to discover just how you can keep your cool while decking those halls and jingling those bells. So what's on the festive agenda today? Well, drum roll, please. We're diving into an intuitive eating tool for the holidays, the surprising benefits of nostalgia, a little mindful challenge for the month of December. Plus, stay tuned for a special guest appearance from someone who has no problem walking into a Christmas party alone. He's sharing his tips on small talk at all the social events you have coming up. James Farrer, who also might know as Zach from EastEnders and is also my husband, is popping onto the podcast a bit later to keep me company. And in the next few episodes, we have some exciting guests coming up sharing their wisdom and expert tips on everything from hope at Christmas alongside awful news headlines to money advice, surviving Christmas burnout and the pressures of making Christmas magical for the family alongside making time for yourself. But wait, there's more. In this episode, we'll also be unwrapping some mindful wisdom which might just change how you see stress at Christmas. So first up on the agenda is intuitive eating. It doesn't sound very sexy, does it? Especially not at Christmas. But I always think that there's definitely a balance to be found at Christmas. It's 100% not about depriving yourself by any means. I don't believe that eating should ever be about depriving yourself. But mindful eating and intuitive eating can help us to tune into the body a little bit more. So you may have heard of intuitive eating. It's about using your intuition or trusting your inner wisdom, if you like, to make choices about food based on how it feels in your body without judgment and without influence from any diet culture. Becoming more mindful is an important tool when it comes to intuitive eating in that you can't hear your body's inner wisdom talking to you if you're not tuned into the present moment. But once you are, you can begin to listen to the information your body's giving you. This is called interoception. And for many of us, it's something that we're not so deeply tuned into, but we can begin to listen more closely to our body and the signals that it's sending us about how our food makes us feel. So intuitive eating is the difference between listening and being a slave to what our mind wants. So for example, the sugar, the cake, the chips, and listening more to what our body wants, the fruit, water, fibre, for example. So By learning to listen to these interoceptive messages and signals from our body during and after eating, we're able to begin to hear important messages about what our body needs and what foods do and don't work and even information about how and where we eat. And I think for a lot of people who have allergies and intolerances, they've had to tune into that interoception of what their body's telling them and figure out what it is that's, you know, um, causing those symptoms within the body in order to to get rid of them because it can be really debilitating obviously so intuitive eating takes mindful eating a step further from being in the present moment and using the practice of eating as a tool to develop our mindful muscle of being in the present moment it takes that and applies that skill of mindfulness to help us pay attention to how the food we eat and the way it makes our body feel in order to guide ourselves towards eating for the body's needs rather than what the mind wants and I think at Christmas time this is the balance that we need to to make isn't it I so often just you know think it's Christmas I'm going to indulge in all of this wonderful food and I should you know the food of Christmas at Christmas time is so wrapped up in tradition and even ritual, you know, the Christmas dinner, the things that there's, you know, lots of food that we only eat at Christmas. And I think that those traditions and 
you know, it's a real marking of the season to eat the mince pie, to the mulled wine, you know, it's food is so wrapped up. It's such a big part of Christmas. And by no means should we, you know, deprive ourselves of of that experience. Only choosing to eat only healthy foods can allow the mind to slip into a deprivation mindset. So this is another great way, another great place to practice mindful awareness, saying maybe I don't want that rather than I can't have it. So maybe saying I don't want a third mince pie rather than I can't have a third mince pie. And we can apply the same process of thinking to things such as food allergies and intolerances as well for anyone who's, you know, really wanting that mince pie, but or whatever it is, but, you know, is gluten um, intolerant perhaps, but avoiding them because we don't want to be physically ill, saying to ourselves, I don't want that rather than I can't have it is just a totally different mindset, isn't it? And it's a real conscious, mindful way of thinking. So I invite you this Christmas to maybe think about those decisions you're making around food and listen into the body using interoception as well as listening to what the mind wants of course listening to what the body wants what does the body need and trying to find a balance between those two things but also having compassion for yourself having you know kindness towards yourself knowing that you you know you are allowed to indulge this is a celebratory time of year food is so wrapped up in those celebrations and you are allowed to and deserve to enjoy that food as well but at the same time if you can't have certain foods if you're intolerant or also if you're if you're finding that point between I want more but my body's saying actually it's not making me feel great or I know that you know if I eat 10 mince pies in a day it's I'm not going to feel great after that even though I'd like another one Can you say to yourself with compassion, with kindness, I don't want that rather than I can't have that. And I wanted to share just finally on this note, a little um, tool that I use. It's taken from my book, The Wellfulness Project, and we can apply it to any area of of our well-being, any well-being practice. Um, But it's really great with food as well, I find. And um, I call it the wheels of wellfulness. But it's and we use it in a diagram you can head over to my website and download it if you want to but we can also just use it in our minds as well or we can just journal it onto a piece of paper so the three pillars the three pillars that we need to consider when we're thinking about when we're making our conscious mindful choices around our health are mind body and heart and we want to find a balance between serving or keeping all of those three areas happy if we're finding that we're only making one area happy and the other two areas aren't being served then it's time to maybe reevaluate whether that thing you're doing that food you're eating that exercise you're doing whatever it is is really serving you on a holistic level so let's use an example of eating the third mince pie on a on a day in December and we're going to look at the three areas we're going to look at whether it's serving the mind whether it's serving the body and whether it's serving the heart so let's look at the mind first the mind is telling me I want another one that tasted amazing I want another one it's delicious I want it and I want it now I also might have in the back of my mind a bit of guilt as well there's also you know this other voice in my head saying oh, but you're not allowed that. You're not allowed a third mince pie. That's just being greedy. In my body, a third mince pie, starting to feel a bit sick at this point, not feeling great. It's not really what my body's calling out for. In my heart, I'm enjoying the mince pie. It's made my heart sing. It's really, you know, filled that Christmas cup full of of joy and, and magic and sparkle. And it's something that I've really, truly enjoyed. It's made my soul sing. However, it's also having a third one is not perhaps aligning with my values, which are to, you know, look after my body. So I know also in my heart that eating the third mince pie isn't really what I want to do for my for my myself because I love myself so when I look at 
all of those. And you can literally write down, you know, three columns, mind, body, heart, and write down all of the ways in which the third mince pie or whatever it is, is or isn't serving you. And then it's about weighing it all up, having a look and seeing, actually, do I want the mince pie or is it not serving me? And that's this is just one silly example, you know, and we don't have to do it for every single thing. But when we're trying to find balance across the Christmas period, this can be a really useful tool. And it's something that I in my book, we we use to create a blueprint for for our health and for our well-being on a holistic level because health isn't just about the body health is about the mind and it's about the heart and the soul if you like as well you know it's about being happy so we can apply this to exercise we can apply this to to our space so thinking about even decorating the the house for Christmas. We can apply it to our social events, you know, choosing whether to go to a social event or not. Is it serving my mind? Is it serving my heart? Is it serving my body? In fact, that's a fantastic example to to use this this tool on, you know, I've got a Christmas party coming up. I I don't really want to go. So, you know, but I do want to go, but I don't want to go. So let's let's use the tool to help us. So in my in my mind, you know, I'm saying I I should go. I said I would go. I RSVP'd. Um, you know, Sarah might be upset if I don't go along. Um, and I did say to to Mark that I'd see him there. So, you know, I, I'm going to feel a bit guilty if I don't go. Then we'll look at body. But actually, my body, I'm exhausted. I'm really tired and I'm feeling quite burnt out. And I, you know, I was out a couple of nights ago and I stayed up late and I'm, you know, they'll be um you know a lot of alcohol and actually I have a bit of a hangover from the the day before or whatever it is my body I just don't I'm just tired I'm just my body's not feeling like it wants to go to a party tonight and then in my heart but actually in my heart I want to see all my friends and I love Christmas and I love seeing Sarah's house all decorated at Christmas and I've got such great memories of all of her other parties. I just love celebrating Christmas. So actually in my heart, my soul, I, you know, I want to go and have a little dance and a party. Once we've written that all down and we can look at it from a really conscious level of, you know, of balance on a holistic level as well. We can see a bit clearer, can't we, you know, whether this party is going to serve us or not. And really, it's serving the mind, it's serving the heart. What it's not doing is serving the body in this instance. So, you know, we can say, well, do you know what? That's really important to me. And that's that for me outweighs the other things. Or we can say, okay, but maybe I just won't drink as much tonight or I won't drink at all tonight. Maybe I will, you know, cancel something tomorrow so that I can prioritize rest and get more sleep tomorrow or maybe I'll just make sure that I come home at a decent hour so that I'm not feeling exhausted tomorrow so we're just coming at these decisions from and coming at Christmas in general really from a more conscious place we're making mindful decisions and we're making sure that those mindful decisions are balanced on a holistic level for all of our well-being for our mind you know our mental health for our heart and our soul who we are our values and what we want and also for our bodies for our physical bodies and looking after those as well so yeah if you want to have a look at, at that a bit more you can grab my book obviously you can get it at waterstones or amazon you can also head over to my website where you can download the the actual tool it can help you kind of really see on a visual level when you put everything into it, whether something's serving you or not and help you to to make those decisions or make those, those plans and, um, and a wellness program, essentially. Or follow me on Instagram where there's more there as well. So on that note, I wanted to share with you a little mindful challenge that I've created. It's free. It's a mindful advent calendar and it's um, available to download for free. All you have to do is head over to either my website or my Substack channel, which is called Rebecoming You. 
or you can just head to my Instagram. There'll be a link here as well. And yes, in the all you have to do is subscribe and in the welcome email, I send you a digital advent calendar. Now you can either print these print it out and either like fold it up and and literally have the physical page of every single day of of advent or you can keep it as a, a digital download on your phone and you just click the day and it takes you to a mindful activity or challenge or thought or conversation topic or journal prompt for that day they're all really easy they're really fun and um it's all designed using mindfulness, using neuroscience to help you basically take this challenge and use December as a as a kind of challenge month to transform your mindset, to tune you into more positivity, more gratitude, more compassion. And these things, they these kind of three values if you like positivity compassion and gratitude they have amazing absolutely incredible benefits for our mental and our physical health and the really exciting thing is that they have incredible benefits for your children as well and I've designed it to do with your kids so there's one version to do with um, older kids there's one version to do with your baby who potentially isn't talking yet and there's one version for either you just by yourself or with your partner or friend or whoever um and they're all they're all exactly the same they're just designed slightly differently so that you can do them with children because if you have children because this is something i feel really passionately about that often parents we just don't have enough time to practice mindfulness or to you know self-care you know practices in general when we've got kids so this is designed for you and your kids to do together or you just by yourself but either way across if you do these the challenge every day across the month of December that's long enough to start rewiring your brain towards greater positivity greater gratitude and greater compassion and the amazing thing is is that while you're rewiring your brain if you're practicing it with your kids you're wiring their brain to a default setting of positivity gratitude and compassion and that is an amazing superpower to have for for your mental health especially in the month of December. Next up I'm going to grab a cup of tea and invite my husband James Farrah to join me just so that I'm not talking to myself for the entire first episode. We're going to talk about the benefits of nostalgia and he's going to share some really really lovely actually and thoughtful tips on how to survive the small talk and walk into a Christmas party with charisma. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Tiny Forest. This holiday season, give a gift that truly grows love and leaves a lasting impact. Tiny Forest is an urban tree planting initiative by environmental charity Earthwatch Europe, and they've got a wonderful mindful Christmas idea for any nature lover. For just £18, you can choose your loved one's favourite tree species and sponsor it in its own tiny forest. Choose a meaningful location, receive a personalised certificate and watch the forest flourish. From a mighty oak to the valuable hazel, which is a food source for birds, small mammals and even deer. The graceful elm or the beautiful rowan, which in folklore has mythical properties, often planted near homes to ward off evil spirits. Or even the very Christmassy looking silver birch. You can sponsor as many trees as you like, maybe even grow your own tiny forest. Why champion a tree? Well, over 6 million people in the UK lack access to green space close to home. Your sponsorship supports Earthwatch in creating 500 tiny forests by 2030, fostering nature in cities and combating the decline of wildlife highlighted by the 2023 State of Nature report. Join us in bringing nature back to our urban landscapes. Visit earthwatch.org.uk to make a difference today. Oh, oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> so we're here talking about Christmas today and I thought it would be a nice way to begin this six part series, although I keep adding people in because I'm finding more and more amazing people and I keep bringing it up and they're like, yeah, I want to talk about Christmas. Um, so it might turn into an eight part, ten part series. Who's I'm first on the list? Was I first on the list? 
to be honest oh, <laughs> answer. no i did think it would be a nice way for us to move into the christmas space because we kind of i'm introducing myself a little bit through you just without talking just to myself on the podcast which is always a little bit awkward I see. so here I we see. are you're just breaking the ice really yeah but I do love talking to you as well. So like we're here talking exam. about Christmas. Yes, like a mock exam. So we're here talking about Christmas. And I have got quite a lot to ask you, actually, because I've been doing a lot of research on Christmas, obviously. Mainly how we feel at Christmas. And I've got a lot of research and interesting things for us to discuss. What does Christmas mean to you, first of all? I was brought up going to church every Christmas morning. And it was a way of thanking, which I do every day with you, gratitude. And I feel like this time of year, it, it's a great way for our children, especially where we are in our lives with Summer. So Summer's our little girl. She's just turned two. Yeah. And she is crazy. Just <laughs> starting to understand Christmas, which is great. Yes. But I think it's a, a valuable lesson. Um, to teach her straight up that it's about thanking. I oh. feel like this this time of year and bringing yourself away from the shopping and the spending and realising what makes Christmas important to you and your crew. Yeah, your and that's a nice, so that's a nice question to ask, isn't it? And I think this this podcast is obviously how to have a mindful little Christmas. And maybe it's interesting to talk a bit about what that actually means because... There's mindfulness, there's mindful in the sense of just being a bit more aware. And I think I think for me, something that's going to come up from doing all of this research about the themes of Christmas and how we feel and the pressures and the stress and making, you know, how we navigate that. It's good to talk about making conscious choices. Yeah. And I think for me, that's what it kind of means. So we'll be exploring that more. But I like the idea of kind of making a conscious choice to choose how we see Christmas or choose how we approach it. Mm. So I had little research and according to a YouGov report, around a quarter of us say that we feel stressed or very stressed around the festive season. And I have to tell you that men are feeling the strain less than women. So a third of women say that they're feeling stressed about Christmas compared to a fifth of men. I think that's quite a big difference, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and almost half of Brits who celebrate Christmas find buying presents um, oh, no. very stressful. Oh, horrible. But for me, it's... You hate uh, that. Oh, you do. Buy, buy in, <laughs> wrap in, and it's not that I don't love giving. Exactly, yeah. I, I love it. I actually prefer that than receiving presents at Christmas, but... Where do you buy things now? On your phone? Mm-hmm. I have set periods in my day where I don't use my phone. I don't use my phone when I'm on set. So my phone goes onto airplane mode and I go onto set at 7.30am. It then goes off until I wrap at 7pm. So I find experiences that mm. we can all enjoy together is my tonic for that so it's always finding a solution I, I can't just not get presents for people mm-hmm. because well, why can't you the, always the bigger question is why can't you because me and my sisters used to spend a lot of money on each other mm-hmm. and it got to a point where my eldest sister Lucy who's blind really really struggled to do that shopping how does she get online and and get everything and Mm. it was more harm than good if you like so it's finding a middle ground rather than just going no presents because of course it is lovely to give but again it's being conscious being aware at christmas that there are other ways because Mm -hmm. really at the end of the day as long as you've got your family around that tree on christmas morning it's all that really matters so that kind of brings me on to a topic that i wanted to talk about today that i've done a lot of research into um, if you're if you're just getting to know me, you can tell that I like doing research. <laughs> um, so nostalgia. I found out some fascinating stuff which I want to share with you and get your thoughts on. Um, so nostalgia, obviously, we use the the phrase a lot today, but it used to be regarded as a medical disease or psychological disorder 
often related to homesickness until the 20th, the 20th century. And the term was derived from two sounds, nostos, meaning return to the native land, and algos, which translates to suffering or grief. So the word nostalgia was used during the early 1700s to describe sickness among Swiss soldiers and the atmospheric pressure from the mountains was deemed to be part of the problem. But over time, semantic drift has broadened the meaning of nostalgia and today we use it as a term to describe a bittersweet feeling about the past. And I think a lot of us feel nostalgia, especially around Christmas time, don't we? So as we get older, yeah. and I know my dad is a sucker for nostalgia, I think some of us lean, lean into nostalgia more and feel it more strongly and other, others um, don't so much. But there's some really interesting... Um, more modern research around nostalgia and this feeling of bitter, this bittersweet feeling about the past. But recent research has found that although nostalgia can feel a little bit painful, it's also quite a positive emotion because it has a few benefits. It can enhance social connectedness by fostering a sense of shared history and identity. It often involves recalling positive experiences with others, so contributing to feelings of social support. It can play a role in shaping a sense of identity by connecting us to our personal and cultural history, which can contribute to a sense of continuity and self-understanding. And studies have even found engaging in nostalgic activities or recalling positive memories has been linked to stress reduction as it may help to relax us in a sense of psychological comfort and it's associated with positive emotions including happiness, contentment and warmth so it can contribute to a more positive mood. So nostalgia can be a good thing for our mental health which is really, I think, really comforting. It's if you catch yourself... For me, because I, as, as soon as I hear that first Christmas song, mm-hmm. what happens? The image flashes up of the best time mm-hmm. you've ever heard that mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah. So I go back there and I go, oh, it was so much better then. Or you catch yourself. It was great then, but it'll be a different experience this year. Mm-hmm. Is that rooted in gratitude i think that that's what i was going to say i think i like the idea of kind of reframing nostalgia and maybe if you're feeling sad that those moments have passed and that you might not have them again even just reframing it and saying do you know what i'm really thankful that i had those moments anyway there you go Um, and maybe i'll have i had great ones in the past maybe i'll create great new ones in the future or or this year rewiring so it's choosing the positive bias rather than the negative, which is what we're trying to do every single day at Christmas. I think that's when you've got to practice it more than ever. Yeah. And that is mindfulness at its core. So I also really like the idea of consciously using nostalgia as a tool to bring us closer to family members or friends that we grew up with or have a long history with to, you know, using it as a tool to help us feel closer to them, especially if you feel like you haven't spent as much time with them as you would have liked to over the past year. So maybe thinking, you know, and I, I'm going to try and consciously do this over drinks, Christmas drinks, consciously choosing to bring up a topic or something that I feel nostalgic about that included those people and talking about that memory and kind of, you know, getting their input um, and you know, reliving it through their eyes as well and and using it, knowing that this research has kind of shown us that it can bring us together and help with social connectedness. So what were you most nostalgic about? What are you most nostalgic about for your Christmases? Can I say this? Because there might be children. All right, I'll do it in code. (laughs) Belief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel those moments actually believing I saw Santa in a sleigh and then getting into bed and waking up in the night and turning round and seeing what was actually a red dressing gown and keeping my eyes in my pillow because I didn't want to ruin that feeling uh-huh. and then waking up in the morning and going to my dad, Dad, Santa was in my room. <gasps> the that, belief. That, but again, living life vicariously through summer... And our mates, little children, you just, again, I've just done it, I've rewired. <laughs> I, I do this quite regularly. I, I'd come up with something that could hurt <laughs> and I find a tonic. Re- reframe it. Yeah. Because it's finding the joy in something new. Mm-hmm. 
So moving on to the busy Christmas social calendar. We were talking about our calendar today and just going through it and I'm terrible. I, I agree to things and I never put them in the diary and I have to, it's so stressful. I don't know why I do it I to myself. I run our diary then and I have Ali to, rings and says, I'll be free check. on this day. It's I've really stressful booked. and I, I, deb- <laughs> I double, triple book things. My friends hate me. I'm surprised I have any left to be honest with you. But I was looking at ours today and nearly every, no, every weekend in December is busy, which I'm sure is not, it's not a weird thing. Everyone will be the same, not I'm sure. weekends. Now we've started to fill up the week to too. Just, yeah, fill up the week and decline things and then you feel FOMO. So Farah, how do you cope with a busy social calendar? Because you're a very busy person. I mean, you like to be busy. Oh, I do. I'm an extrovert. But equally you've seen recently, haven't you? Me go into my shell because there's only amount an amount of that I can do. Mm. I remember at the start of October travelling left, right and centre, London, Wales, back to the Cotswolds, around work. So I'm travelling to work from the Cotswolds, doing events that seemed so great when I was first invited. And I thought, I didn't think about how exhausted this would leave me. Yeah. And I was so close to getting ill. And that's something that we do at Christmas, isn't it? Because we put things in the diary back in October, even September for yeah. Christmas, because we were, especially things that you have to book. Yes. And you, you put them in, you think that would be brilliant. and But you don't realise, you don't kind of see it as a big picture of how am I going to feel? I actually had this the night before and I've got to do this the next day. Mm. And am I actually going to be too exhausted to do that thing that I really wanted to do because I've packed too much Well, there we the go. Diary. What you just said there, what I really wanted to do, the thing that mm. I really then prioritise. In my journal this morning, the first thing that I wrote down was prioritise your to-do list. Mm-hmm. When do our to-do lists get ticked off, Ali? Never. Never. <laughs> never. I, w- I will never get to the end of a list. No. I. We're both, listen, we're both high achievers. We get a kick out of doing things and feeling the fulfilment from it whether it's laying the gravel on our drive that <laughs> is looming over us <laughs> um, or fitting the new fireplace. One thing I would say is I bring it back at every point during December. No, probably prior to that. November, when I'm getting these invites, there was a poll earlier from the A WhatsApp boys. poll. Yeah, WhatsApp oh, poll. Enough to make you shudder. And then the expectation of... <laughs> Well, if I don't fill one of those dates out, yeah, I've not got involved. And also the fo- is that what you mean the FOMO? My, my boys to feel unsupported. This is one thing I really wanted to talk to you about because you're a very charismatic person, and I'm sure if you if anyone's ever seen Farah be interviewed or anything, he's very. You're so good at talking to people, but it's not because you're trying to. I think it's a natural skill of yours. So I'd like to try and learn a bit from you if we can. You're a very charismatic person. It will cost you. (laughs) Um, And when I see you, when you walk into parties, you're you're an extrovert, I think, but you're like an introverted extrovert. So you need a bit of time afterwards to to kind of spend some time, quiet time, you know, on your own or or with Summer and I, but just quiet time at home, away from crowds. You don't like crowds, do you? But you love being with people. It gives you energy. I like crowds of people I know. Yes, exactly. So that's perfect, like Christmas party material, isn't it? You know, for you. And I see you and you're having such a lovely time. What are your tips for anyone who's kind of, you know, loves the Christmas celebrations but finds maybe the party side of it quite intense so you know having to look, make a lot of small talk or, or you know see right. people a lot yeah how do you what your to, what are your top tips on walking into the party got it yeah one that might offend but please don't see the offense in it mm, i'm intrigued no one's interested in you in that room They're more interested in themselves. So any social anxiety walking into any room, please do not feel nerves prior to it. Mm -hmm. Get rid of that. No one cares. Is that something you use in acting as well? Yeah. There's 50 people waiting for me to get my lines out. If I get them wrong, I get them wrong. Just like the guy on lights gets it wrong. Do I judge him? No. Does he judge me? No. He or she judge me? No. It's the power of seeing through what you think people are thinking, which is, what's he wearing? What's she wearing? Oh, my goodness. Who's he talking to? I don't care 
how I'm perceived and who I'm talking to. If I can learn, this is my second point, I'm moving on to the second point. If I can learn something from one person in that room, then I've had a good time. If I ask a question Mm -hmm. and that person gives me a little bit of information that I've learned from that day, then that's getting something out of the party that I might not have got if I didn't go. And I guess by learning, it doesn't have to be, you know, a fact or anything. It's learning something about them or about yourself or about the world. Or there you go. And you also different... mentioned the, the term small talk. Mm-hmm. I will not do that in life. Mm-hmm. At work. Morning. How are you? So what's your antidote to small talk? I'll answer the question that is asked to you mm-hmm. different to how you've ever answered it. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Equally, if there's something that comes out of that, great. Then go in with a question to them. Because again, every single podcast I'm listening to at the moment is joy day to day comes from listening. Mm -hmm. You might feel for that small moment a kick out of performing and talking about yourself. It's a road to nowhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're sharing energy, talking about yourself a little bit, they're then talking about themselves, then you're talking about one another. That's when I get a real buzz. Mm-hmm. Sharing and that's when that conversation energy. flows really easily, isn't easily. it? When you're both asking questions of each other. Sometimes I'll say, I did it with Frankie at work the other day. I went, sorry, just give me a second. And I stopped myself. I said to her out loud, give me a second. I want to answer this question a different way to how I've answered it before. Mm-hmm. How many times do I get the question, how's summer? Which is lovely. It's mm-hmm. lovely. It will be uninteresting if I'm saying the same sentence to them that I've told mm-hmm. everybody else. They'll see it behind my eyes that he's bored of saying this. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw it back to them. How, how are your children or what's going on up to Christmas? But something that I'm interested in. Do you eat meat mm-hmm. at Christmas or do you go veggie? Do you, mm-hmm. Something I'm interested in. It's selfish. Yeah. But I'm getting information that's not me talking about myself, which I find boring. Mm-hmm. This is enlightening. I like, I love talking to you about, to learn how to be charismatic from you because it is a superpower. It really is. I I, learned, uh, my dad's a very charismatic man. So you're a product of your surroundings, aren't you? So I'm hoping summer will pick up on that. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I, 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 I think it's interesting to consider whether it is nature or nurture, a bit of both maybe. Can you learn to be charismatic or is it something that you're born with? It's really interesting. But it's definitely, it's more than just being able to, you know, walk into a room with your head held high. It's it's something, isn't it? It's like that kind of, you're drawn to to certain people. But then I think we're all drawn to different kinds of people, aren't we? Unapologeticness is not a word, is it? But being unapologetic, Mm -hmm. often with that, that word, you see the negative side, which is they just don't care. It's that, but with kindness. Mm. I, I, I just don't really care if you, if you dislike me because I'm kind. <laughs> a good example, there's a guy at work called Scott Maslam. And Scott isn't rewarded enough for what he does day to day, which is he is a comedian. He is hilarious he throws himself around the room, all eyes on Scott. But it's to ensure that everybody else in that room feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really watch every day, and I'm learning from Scott, is so unapologetic. But he polices it by being a good guy. Mm-hmm. If you are unapologetic and unkind, that's when I struggle to to see eye to eye with toxic people. Toxic combination. So yeah, my, my, my point being is going into these situations not having anything to prove. Mm -hmm. I want to go into something just in case you keep it in there, yeah? Mm -hmm. I went to, there's a big club like Soho Housey called um, The Groucho in central London. I went there for a Christmas party for an ex-agent. Be conscious of the word ex, yeah? Emphasis on ex. (laughs) Right? I rang you on the way back from that, didn't I? Yeah. I remember and I said, the conversation well. I'm done. And this is somebody that doesn't fall out with anybody in life. Never fallen out with one of my mates or my family members. Just gets on with people. And I could have been in that abusive relationship for a very long time because you could have thought, I need these people. I need to try and get onto their level. But when I was 
talked to in a certain way at an event that was their Christmas party, it was a boundary. It was a, I don't really care what you think about me. And I walked. That same night, I chose not to talk to the people that I felt were disrespectful from my actual agency, which you'd think were the people that were trying to make me feel comfortable. Mm. And I guess... It's an opportunity, a lot of work, Christmas parties and stuff are an opportunity to network and yep. get to bond. And you and know. in modelling and acting, we've been told by our agents to get out there and make yourself look fantastic. Mm-hmm. But then you can see through that if you're trying too hard. Mm-hmm. And then what That's if somebody's rude to you? What? And then you aren't your true self mm-hmm. and walk from that situation. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, happened on two occasions at that Christmas party. I won't mention what the agent is. But they were surprised to see that I wandered over to a team of casting directors from the BBC. (laughs) Who do I now work for? How (laughs) many shows have I been in for the BBC? Mm -hmm. I wasn't talking to them because I wanted a role. I was talking to them because they were good people. Mm -hmm. Because you had rapport with them. There you go. were kind to you. I gave something, they gave something. I gave something, they gave something. And it was, yeah, they were happy to see me and I was happy to see them. Because of a game that was played, for some reason, at this Christmas party, whether it would be to do with ego or, or whatever. It with was your agents. Exactly. Yeah. I sat there and made a conscious decision in the moment to walk and then tell them the next morning that it, it was done, it was over. And that was me being unapologetic mm-hmm. because it's always that next thought, oh, but what are they going to think about me? That's what most people worry about, which is the same thing I've mentioned on set. What are they going to think about me if I I forget my lines? No one cares. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We live once. You keep saying that to me at the moment. Why are you worried about a few people Mm -hmm. that might be upset with you for forgetting? If I was forgetting my lines regularly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where's your accountability? You're a professional. Like the guy that dips the boom into shot every single scene. Mm -hmm. If he does that 10 times in a day... mm, if he does it twice, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about Christmas parties, you know, the things that we're worried about are whether we're being interesting enough or whether we look good enough or whether our outfit is cool enough. I worry all the time, actually, about whether when I have a chat with people, whether I've asked them, you know, when I've been nice enough or whether I've asked them enough questions. I hate, I'd hate to think that I hadn't asked about something really important going on in their life and I come away sometimes and I tell myself oh you you weren't you know interested enough in them or whatever it is but as you said we're all if I'm worrying about that then they're worrying about something themselves as well about to do with their own selves so so yeah I like I love your message of kind of be more confident you know remember that people aren't talking thinking about you everyone's worried about themselves and just go and have a nice time and have interesting conversations and try and glean something from the conversations you have yeah so last question what do you want for christmas Ah. (laughs) (laughs) i always like to try and think of a surprise for you so a a two-night stay in the countryside somewhere that's that's enough for me I'd just like to share with you another place that you can find me over on Substack. I've got a Substack channel. It's a great platform. There's loads of amazing journalists, authors, experts over there, all writing away, as am I. My channel's called Rebecoming, and it's your passport to realistic self-care for you and your little ones. You know that feeling where you just don't feel like you anymore after having a baby, or a few? <laughs> well, me too. And I know what it's like to feel as though you don't have any time for self-care after having babies and children. No matter how old our little ones are, there's just never as much time now as there was before, right? And trying to carve out more time for us or sleep when the baby sleeps and all the equivalents just isn't realistic and can actually be really frustrating. I believe if we want self-care in our lives for real, we have to embed it into our children's lives too. Because when we can invest in our well-being while we're with the kids, some magical things happen. Firstly, you're able to do the things that make you feel good every day, not just when you can grab a sporadic five minutes or when someone offers to look after the kids. 
Secondly, these things we do that make us feel good begin to manifest as habits in our lives, which have a compounding effect on our well-being. The work we will do together over on my channel, Rebecoming, will literally rewire your brain to be more positive, emotionally resilient, grateful, less anxious and overwhelmed, and better able to manage stress. And thirdly, perhaps the most excitingly, two things happen to our children. As we rewire our brains to the more emotionally resilient, grateful, less anxious and overwhelmed version of ourselves, we're also wiring their brains to a default setting of positivity, gratitude, happiness, and set them up from the beginning as emotionally intelligent, emotionally resilient children who are less anxious, stressed, and better able to regulate their emotions. We also teach them that self-care is a priority and as normal as brushing your teeth so that in the future, they have the tools to look after their own health too. So over on my channel, Rebecoming on Substack, I share fascinating research tips, tricks and hacks to raise not only happy, confident and calm children, but happy, confident and calm mothers and fathers too. From inspiring, heartwarming articles to podcasts like this one, free bedtime meditations for you and fun mindfulness activities to watch and do with your little ones, I promise you'll start seeing the benefits inside yourself and in your family sooner than you'd realise. So let's go on a journey to re-become ourselves and rewire well-being from the inside. This is realistic self-care for you and your little ones. Subscribe now to Ali Rothfarah's Rebecoming channel on Substack today. See you there. So one final thought for this first episode, I wanted to share very quickly a Zen story that I love about um, suffering and basically stress. So and the things that are stressing us out. And I think that it really can help us see things differently and potentially experience our stress and the things that stress us out or trigger us differently. So here we go. A monkey is walking through the forest. From afar, thinking the monk is a deer, an archer accidentally aims his bow at the monk and shoots. The arrow hits the monk, piercing his skin and knocking him down. The archer rushes to the monk's side to find him in obvious pain, but despite the suffering caused by the initial blow, the initial arrow, the monk persuasively asks the archer to shoot him again. The archer, being asked by a holy monk, reluctantly obliges and a second arrow pierces the monk's skin, causing even more pain. It can be hard to understand why the monk would ask the archer to shoot him again a second time, right? Why would he choose more pain and suffering? Yet we do this in our own lives almost every day. I was having dinner with a friend recently who was running a massive PR campaign for a big prestigious brand. She got a call from her assistant telling her that there had been an error on the campaign images that had been sent out. Understandably, she was really flustered. She left the table and hurriedly set about fixing the problem. The situation wasn't ideal, but she'd fixed it as best as she could at the time. Like the monk in the story, she'd been struck by her first arrow. But when she came back to the table, she began to panic that her boss would take the campaign away from her because of the mistake. She needed the campaign to be successful to get the promotion she had her eye on. If she didn't get that promotion, then she wouldn't be able to move into a bigger house next year. And she and her husband needed more space as they were planning to try for a baby suit. If she had to wait longer before trying for a baby, her grandmother, who was ill, might die without meeting her grandchild. The worst case scenario spiralled and spiralled, worlds of what ifs and what then whipping up in my friend's mind. As I listened to her, I witnessed her shoot a second, third, fourth, fifth then sixth arrow at herself, causing herself more and more suffering. In mindfulness, we call this secondary suffering. My friend's primary suffering was the initial situation that she couldn't change, the error in the campaign images, but her secondary suffering was the reaction that she had to it. In the Zen story, the Buddha explains, in life, we cannot always control the first arrow. However, the second arrow is our reaction to the first and with the second arrow comes the possibility of choice. So, here we are again with this idea of conscious choice. 
think back to a situation when you might have got angry at yourself for some error or problem that had arisen and then let your mind fill with the thoughts of all of the catastrophes that might happen because of it. I like this story because it helps us to kind of see everything a bit more clearly. We can't always change everything in life, but we can change and control how we react to it. And it's not something that we can always even do in the moment, but we can often look back afterwards and say, oh, okay, I reacted there. And perhaps all of these stories I'm telling myself, maybe they're not all 100% true. If we can take ourselves back to the initial arrow, to the primary problem, we can often work out and what we're going to do a little bit easier or even come to accept that one situation a little bit quicker. So I invite you for the rest of the Christmas period when something comes up where you think, oh my God, I'm never going to get all of that done in time or I can't believe that present that my best friend wanted is sold out or, you know, any of the myriad of problems that that we're going to face over the next few weeks that are going to potentially impact on us having just a lovely time at Christmas. Try to keep your attention focused on that primary problem and just watch yourself and check. See if you're shooting yourself with a second, third, fourth arrow. See if you're placing any secondary suffering on yourself and just notice how it makes you feel when you do so that potentially we can try and catch ourselves in those moments of reaction and save ourselves from suffering and stress that's not really necessary. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Have Yourself a Mindful Little Christmas. Do join me next week where I promise I won't just be talking to myself and I will be sharing wisdom from an amazing expert. We are going to explore so much over the next few weeks and I'm really glad you're here to join me. So if you want more, please do head over to my Substack channel. That's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. It's free to subscribe and you'll get a weekly newsletter plus meditations, videos, loads of support and more information on how to use the tools um, that I've shared with you today uh, to help you understand your own well-being and create a holistic well-being plan for yourself. So join me over there for free, follow me on Instagram and don't forget to download your free mindful advent calendar. See you next week.